You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. What is up, everyone? It's me. It's me. It's Gino Everloving V. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with episode 27 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I am back with another very special episode this week as I stumble ahead into 2021. Last week, as you might recall, was my first official week of the new year as I was attempting to ease myself out of the holiday madness and into something resembling a more even keel regular year day to day and didn't quite happen last week. I uh, I fell down the rabbit hole of watching the insanity um, as mutants attacked our nation's capital. Um, so I got a little bit distracted with uh, uh, with the mutant assault, but we'll talk about that a bit further into today's show. That will be in an upcoming segment. Instead, let's kick things off with uh, some other goings-on that have been occurring around Sensational Manor of late. And I think the first one that we are going to set it off with here today is um, announcing a new sponsor of the show here on the IC Robots Radio Network. That's right. Not only are we now a food podcast, but we are a commercially sponsored podcast. Whether this sponsor knows it or not, whether this sponsor wants to sponsor or not, we are laying ourselves, kneeling towards them with, uh, with fealty in our heart, and I'll tell you why. Today, folks, we're going to talk about the show's new sponsor, a clothing company known as Uniqlo. But wait a minute, what's that you say? You're not familiar with Uniqlo? You've never heard of this clothing retailer? Well, let's fire up the old wikipedia.org machine and see what we can find. For those of you who are not familiar, Uniqlo Co. Limited, uh, Uniqlo spelled U-N-I-Q-L-O, is a Japanese casual wear designer, manufacturer, and retailer. The company is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fast Retailing Co. Limited. So yeah, th- this is a Uniqlo. Um, I came to them by way of retail stores that they have in malls. Um, in particular, in my case, um, malls down in the South Bay area of California, um, the San Jose region. Uh, Ms. Sensation and I, once upon a time, lived in San Jose, California, and we have certain places we still like to go down and visit there. And it's about two hours away from where we live today. And one of the reasons for getting down there about once a year is it's where we go to take our two children, Miss Sensationals 1 and 2, ages 15 and 12, respectively. Uh, It's where we take them uh, for back-to-school shopping. We go down to the malls in the South Bay just because there's kind of... uh, greater uh, options available, more styles and sizes, what have you. Plus, really, it's just an excuse to go down to the South Bay so we can go visit uh, more interesting places that we like down there um, outside of shopping malls. But one of the very different characteristics when it comes to shopping in the South Bay versus here in Sonoma County, Napa County, is a preponderance of 
Asian American shoppers in the South Bay. So there's a lot of uh, retail stuff geared towards uh, the Asian American demographic. If you're down in the San Jose area, uh, the food court in the mall there is heavily Asian. And I'm not talking Panda Express. I'm talking like, you know, there's some some more more uh, deep into it, deep cuts uh in the food court as far as Asian fare and clothing as well. So this is the first time I ever saw Uniqlo's store was down at one of the malls in San Jose. And to understand why we're talking about this and to understand why we're now a Uniqlo podcast, uh, I guess I need to give a little bit of background when it comes to Mr. Sensational and clothing. There's one thing that does not interest me in this life. It's shopping for clothes. Shopping for clothes, wearing clothes. Not that I'm not into wearing clothes. I'm perfectly into wearing clothes. I just, I don't find a lot of interest in um, fashion, in clothing. Uh, One of the things that I hope and pray for as our nation begins its descent into communism under our new left of Stalin leader, uh, Joseph Biden, Uh, One of the things I'm hoping for, before taking away the guns, um, before uh, the uh, FEMA camps, before um, taking away all the money from the the people that make like $60,000 a year and and giving it out, um, what else is going to happen? Before people are forced to go to doctors, before the microchips by way of the vaccine, which I'm waiting for with bated breath uh, as we speak. Need to get that vaccine on um, so I can get back out in the game. Anyway, before all that, what I, I fervently hope for is that the left of Stalin administration will finally, finally institute a national tunic mandate, a national uniform. Everyone is mandated to wear the same um, sort of uh, Starfleet looking tunic. Um, because I, dude, having to think about what to wear, how to wear, why to wear, I, that is to me the, I mean, I barely leave the house. So what do I care what I wear? And t-shirt sweats, I'm good to go. Anyway, as uh, we're walking in the mall looking for clothing for our children a few years back, um, I happen to notice this Uniqlo store and it's like my dream clothing store because it's like generic Asian dude clothes, just kind of leisure sweatpants. Uh, solid color tees, uh, boring jackets, um, and all relatively inexpensive. So the first time I saw one of these stores, I took a gander inside and I didn't buy anything. Cause again, I, I just, I don't like, I don't like trying on clothes. I don't like spending time in the store, but I did uh, store in the old sensational memory banks that this store had clothing that suited my anti-clothing aesthetic. Um, and again, I want to make clear, I'm not one of these weirdos that isn't into wearing clothes. I'm, I, I, I would veer more towards the never nude side of things. But it just it's, as far as like having to think about clothes, having to spend a lot of time, money, resources on clothes, not interested. So um, stored in the sensational memory banks of this Uniqlo might be up my alley. And ended up eventually ordering some clothes from them online, a couple of solid color V-neck tees, and basically like some pajama pants. That was years ago. I still wear the tees to this day. Honestly, I buy clothes like uh, every other year, maybe, aside from the occasional uh, novelty like pro wrestling t-shirt or something. I'll I'll buy stuff like that more often, but when it comes to like staple clothing, clothes last me for a long time because again, don't really, even pre-COVID, don't really go out a lot. (laughs) You know, 
so one infusion of clothing can last several years. I, I still find clothing that I have from the 90s in my dresser. But I uh, recently ran into a problem. So part of my own um, version of a federally mandated uh, dress code is um, I have certain things that I just wear all the time over and over again. Kind of like, remember when Inspector Gadget had his closet and it was all the same suit uh, many times over? That That's kind of where I'm at these days. So when it comes to shoes, I wear Adidas shoes. Um, that's it and that's all. Um, I mean, it's like, well, I got to pick one. You go to the shoe store, you got all these brands. What's the one brand that Ren DMC sang a song about or rapped a song about? Adidas. Okay, problem solved. So I buy Adidas shoes now. And I also like wearing Adidas tracksuits because that's another very just kind of uniform thing that I don't have to think about and I can put on. So I've gone through in the last 10 years, maybe three Adidas tracksuits. Um, and the most recent one was probably the best quality one I've ever had because they're weird. They're like the ones you buy in the store are sometimes different from the ones you buy online directly from adidas.com. And then sometimes the ones you buy online will even vary. There's every few years they kind of reset how they're making them or, or whatever. Anyhow, Last one I bought, just a black and white Adidas uh, warm-up suit with the stripes on the side. You know the look. Um, last one I bought, I'd been wearing constantly for the last couple of years. And disaster struck a few weeks ago when I realized that a hole had torn in the pants. So now I'm down my Adidas track pants. And see, these are the pants I typically wear outside of the house. If I'm going outside to go to the grocery store, outside when we could still eat outdoors and I would occasionally do that, that's when you put on the Adidas track suit. In the house, it's all about sweatpants, pajama pants, um, that manner of pant-like clothing. Um, the problem is now I needed something that I could go outside of the house with and it just so happened I was running low on indoor leisure pants as well. I had a couple pairs, but they all had holes all over them. Just, it, it was time. It was time. So I fired up the Uniqlo website, and um, I discovered that they sold this version of pant that was both sweatpant but wearable in the outside world. Uh, added it to the cart, hit purchase. Within a few days later... It arrived at my house. I've been wearing this pair of pants mostly uh, other than to wear a, a replacement uh, pair of like really bad old pajama pants to wash these ever since. So, of course, last Friday evening, I was wearing these Uniqlo uh, durable sweatpants. And I was wearing them to go out into the backyard of our house where I was proceeding to sit back and bask in another dreadful week of day-to-day -day drudgery coming to an end. And I was going to uh, celebrate this beginning of the weekend by enjoying a fine hand-rolled cigar, which I'm, I'm known to do from time to time. So I sat in the backyard and I lit this cigar and I, I partook of this fine hand-rolled uh, cigar and time went on, and I had to put it down for a minute, and when I came back to it, it had gone out. So I proceeded to do what one does when a fine hand-rolled cigar uh, becomes extinguished in the course of enjoying it. I took out some matches, uh, and personally, I prefer to use a lighter, and personally, I prefer to use a Bic lighter. People have those weird... Uh, cigar smokers have those weird 
lighter gimmicks that they like. But um, I remember um, I got into smoking cigars by way of uh, Ms. Sensational, who worked in a cigar store when she was in college and actually uh, took a trip around that time to Nicaragua and Honduras and got to tour some of the uh, cigar factories there and actually got to meet several cigar luminaries, including a man who is no longer in this mortal plane, a man by the name of Jose Orlando Padron. And this man, Jose Orlando Padron, was the patriarch of the Padron family um, who put out Padron cigars. And she ended up getting to have dinner at the apartment above their factory in Nicaragua. And after dinner, Jose Orlando Padron, I hope I'm getting his name right, but it is the Padron patriarch. Um, he proceeded to, to uh, give Ms. Sensational a cigar from his shirt pocket and also took one out for himself and proceeded to light his cigar using a Bic disposable lighter. So when I heard that story, my opinion was if Padron Sr. can light his cigars with a Bic lighter, then all the rest of us should be able to hang with that as well. As it were, didn't have a Bic lighter, just had a book of matches out in the backyard. So proceeded to light a match. And as I'm lighting this match, I watch as a spark from the match flies up into the air in slow motion comes down in a slow trajectory and lands on my leg. And this has happened before when I've been in the backyard enjoying fine hand-rolled cigars and um, an errant match spark goes flying and hits me in the leg. But generally when this happens, it just burns a little hole in the sweatpants or pajama pants that I'm wearing. That's how they end up with these holes half the time. And then just kind of burns itself out and it's gone. But on this last Friday evening, the strangest thing happened. A halo of very mellow-looking flame erupted around the circumference of my leg and was just kind of traveling down the pant leg. It was almost like I had, was having a dream. Um, I didn't feel any heat. Uh, and I couldn't tell if what I was seeing was even happening. Sort of froze for a few seconds, which felt like minutes. And then I proceeded to begin swatting at my leg furiously, and the halo of flame disappeared. Now I thought, oh, heck no. I've just ruined this pair of pants that I just bought that I intended to last me for at least a few years. But I looked down at the pant leg, and there was just the barest, slightest evidence that there had been any flame, just this light little singeing and a little barbecue smell. Um, so after enjoying that fine hand-rolled cigar, I washed this pair of Uniqlo pants, and post-washing, there was no evidence of them having been lit afire at all. Amazing. They, there must be some sort of fire-retardant material in these sweatpants. No hole? No pain? Not even the slightest hint that my leg was on fire. So with that, we are now a Uniqlo podcast. <laughs> Folks, welcome back to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network, brought to you by Uniqlo. This is episode 27, and since we are a food podcast, it's time for a little food talk. Folks, I want to give a shout out this week to a... Food item 
that I have unfairly sidelined my own personal life for too long. I want to give a shout out today to the lowly burrito. Now, when I was growing up in Northern California as a child of non-Mexican-American heritage, my experience with quote-unquote Mexican food was generally we would get Mexican as a family from a local taqueria. Because one thing, regardless of what you're ordering or what you're eating, in Northern California, probably unlike some parts of the country, um, Mexican food abounds. Um, just because California is inherently, you know, Mexican culture or Mexican-American culture. It's just, it, it's like breathing the air in California. It's, it's part of what goes on here. Part of the heritage of this great state. Um, but being uh, non-Mexican-American, our Anglo or Anglo-ish family, uh, generally when we were, would get Mexican food, it was like burritos. Um, so that was my, my early forays into Mexican cuisine, Mexican-American cuisine, the burrito, like many in Anglo in the state of California. Um, I remember at a certain point in my late teens, early 20s, I had a job working for a company called AVE. I can't even remember what that stands for at this point. It's like arterial vascular or something or other. It's a company that made uh, stents that go into people's hearts when they've had a heart attack. Uh, and they had a big manufacturing facility in Santa Rosa, California. And I worked there very briefly. I worked there for about a month on the assembly line. Leak testing. Leak testing catheters. Uh, the catheters that I guess would go in and open up the, the artery to then put in the stent. I had to like blow these things up with a machine and have them in uh, uh, liquid to see if they were uh, bubbles came out because they were leaking. In any case, uh, AVE being an assembly line type place broke down into sort of prison-style ethnic lines. You had the Asian people that worked on the assembly line, who were generally of uh, Laotian or Cambodian um, descent. You had the self-described Mexicans on the line. You had the white people on the line, and everyone kind of stuck to their own bubble. But I was in a strange position, as I often am in my life, because as we talked about on the show before, I'm of part Chinese, Chinese-American background. So I have sort of an ethnically ambiguous look. So when I worked at AVE, the so-called Mexicans often thought that I was a Mexican, or at least part Mexican. Uh, Asian people kind of ferreted out that I was Asian, and then I'm always able to present white and, and hang with the white folks, as it were. So I was able to freely move between all of these segregated uh, segments. And um, because, uh, particularly in the Asian and quote-unquote Mexican quadrants, um, the people that worked there would bring um, food prepared at home to eat for lunch, um, representative of their... their uh, native cuisine influences, I would often be offered surplus lunch food by both the Asian uh, contingent and the self-proclaimed Mexican contingent. Um, so I got to eat a lot of good food when I worked at AVE for that month before I walked off the line, never to return again. 
Um, but I would often eat lunch with this young woman by the name of Rosa. And Rosa seemed to think Mr. Sensational Gino Vega was quite hilarious. Rosa didn't really speak much English, but we, we were able to communicate more or less. She was the supervisor for my line, and she would always see what a pitiful job I was doing at leak testing, and she would sit down and help me uh, catch up on how behind I was, all the while laughing at Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. Can you imagine someone laughing at Mr. Sensational Gino Vega? I don't know, very strange. But anyway, uh, Dear Rosa found me quite the uh, amusing character. And um, she would, um, we would talk about uh, music from Mexico because um, at the time, uh, it was in the late 90s when there was kind of a, a surge in what was known as rock and espanol, which were basically like alternative rock bands. Spanish language, alternative rock bands, quite a few of them coming from Mexico, and I'd ask her about those bands, and she would essentially tell me, oh, that's music for crazy people. I listen to Banda music. Um, and similarly with food, she was just aghast at the idea of burritos, because as she informed me, this was not Mexican food. I can't remember which region of Mexico she was originally from, but she was from somewhere on the coast, so she would always... Uh, drum into me the Mexican food is seafood, this burrito, this is some American nonsense. Why do you people all think burritos are Mexican food? So uh, these conversations with Rosa caused me to open my horizons about what Mexican food could or could not be and to notice many things on the menus at the various restaurants I would go to that I just glossed over before. And I have kind of an analog to this because, you know, again, I come from a Chinese background. It's a very similar thing with... Uh, uh, Chinese food, you know, lemon chicken, sweet and sour pork, uh, uh, Mongolian beef, et cetera, et cetera. These dishes that you often see at a Chinese restaurant in the United States, this is not actually Chinese food. Like no, no, no uh, Chinese person would be ordering or eating this stuff. And in fact, many Chinese restaurants, if not having two sections on a menu, will straight up have two different menus the menu that they give out to Anglo people, the menu they give out to Chinese people. Um, not to say that those, those American uh, Chinese-inspired in, uh, dishes don't have their own place. I, I mean, I eat that stuff too. Don't get me wrong. But it is not truly Chinese food. It's not representative of Chinese cuisine. Um, burrito, I, I, I was looking earlier on Wikipedia, and there are instances of it in actual food in various regions of Mexico over time. But again, taking Rosa's point, it is, one, it is like one little grain in the larger uh, um, tapestry of what Mexican food uh, represents. Uh, the, the proportion to, to where what uh, we non-Mexican folk uh, think of the burritos being Mexican food to what it actually is is very, very out of whack. So anyway, um, as I continue to eat food, in the 20 years since, I would often hear Rosa's voice and I would bypass burritos whenever that, that was an option. I would get anything else on the menu. And, the, the, you know, there's there's a million other things to eat. So I don't, I don't think there was anything wrong with making those decisions and broadening my horizon over the years and getting to learn more about authentic Mexican-inspired cuisine. Um, but a funny thing happened recently we, as a family here, the Sensational Family, had gotten takeout food from a Mexican restaurant here in Napa. And, you know, Ms. Sensational and I order our own stuff. 
But the, the sensational children, as I was when I was their age, are not necessarily as adventurous of eaters um, as uh, Miss Sensational and I. They still have the child's palate, more or less. They're, they're, they're coming into their own, but they're, they're still, you know, a little uh, less open to um, letting that palate just go full-blown adult. Uh, so when we get our food from a Mexican restaurant, we will generally get them some really boring, like, bean and cheese kids burrito or something. And so we had done that in this instance. And I think it was probably like a weekend night or something. So I was staying up kind of late after long after we'd had dinner. I'd probably like thrown back a few, few cold ones, a few Steve Weisers. And it was late into the night and that kind of Dagwood late night, midnight snack hunger was building inside of me. And I saw that dear Miss Sensational 2 had left her bean and cheese burrito half-eaten, still in its foil, on a plate. And I proceeded to eat the remnants. And it was nothing short of revelatory. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. It was, it was a, very, a very simple culinary experience. But I had missed that, just that, that pairing of the bean and the cheese and the, the, the tortilla wrapped around it and just the, that bite and the kind of almost like chewing gum texture of the tortilla as you're as you're consuming the burrito anyway she was furious the next day when she found out i'd eaten her leftovers and to 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 this day now it's been a few months whenever she has leftovers she writes this big note in sharpie on it that i am not under any circumstances to eat her leftovers unless i have express permission but because of that experience uh the next time we got food from that same mexican restaurant i actually ordered a burrito i ordered a bit more adventurous than the the children's bean and cheese burrito but i did get a burrito for old time's sake ate it thoroughly enjoyed it doesn't mean i'm going to not return to menudo and sopitos and lengua tacos and uh this that and the third the next time I venture back into uh, Mexican food, but it was kind of nice to reacquaint with the lowly burrito after all these years. So Rosa, that goes out to you wherever you are, my friend. Um, and last note on food today, Albert Adame, ketchup on a hot dog is an abomination for anyone over the age of 10. <laughs> Folks, I've been having so much fun recording this episode today that I almost completely missed Miss Sensational uh, 2's pickup time. Uh, Generally speaking, in the history of the 27 episodes of this show, I have recorded these things in bits and pieces. Like I'll record for, spend uh, 20 minutes recording five minutes, take a break for a couple hours, come back, take a break for a day, come back. This has been an ongoing 27-minute now stream of consciousness. So your results may vary. Your mileage may vary. I've enjoyed speaking with you today to the fact that I lost all sense of time and space. We are going to close out today. I originally intended this to be a much larger topic on the show, but I got carried away talking about all kinds of nothing. Um, So maybe we'll talk more about this down the line because I'm sure more weird stuff will jump off in the days and weeks ahead. But I I would be remiss if I didn't uh, do a little uh, reference to the mutant meltdown that we saw last week as um, the mongrel hordes descended on our nation's capital, on our uh, capital state building, a place that I have visited once before, actually, when I was a child. I took a really 
amazing tour of that building. Um, you can call ahead to your state representative. And I mean, back in the day, God only knows uh, in this day and age, but you could take a little guided tour with a group of the Capitol building. And uh, that was uh, one of the highlights of my visit to D.C. many, many moons ago. I've not been back since. I've only been there once. But there's all kinds of takes and outrage and thoughts that I could have on this display of just garbage behavior and know-nothingness. But for today, um, I'm going to keep it simple. Um, One of the things that I find most pitiful about Trumpism in general and about the kind of mutant behavior that we saw this last week is what I call pointing at the sky syndrome. When Mr. Sensational was in high school, when um, one of my best friends at the time turned 16 and got his driver's license, he used to give me, I was 15, he was 16, and then we had a friend who might have been 14. He would give the two of us rides home after school. So it was two, two underage to be driving folk being driven around by a newly minted 16-year-old driver. Um, nowadays, I don't believe that's legal. <laughs> that's probably a good thing because the only major legal trouble I've ever gotten into in my life was in this situation of driving around unsupervised, unattended, when we were a bunch of teenagers that probably should not have been driving alone by ourselves. But anyway, uh, so yeah, we would this this like ten minute drive home would turn into an hour long drive going around doing all kinds of mayhem and mischief. One day when we were uh, partaking in mayhem and mischief, we drove past an elementary school that was getting out for the day. And as we drove by, this little kid sneered at us and extended his middle finger and flipped us off. And my friend who was driving, 16-year-old John, a very tall individual. He's probably about seven feet tall now. I don't know how tall he was back then, but very tall. Um, slams on the brakes of the silver Buick that he was driving screeches in reverse and pulls right back up to this little kid who is now visibly shaking, regretting what he did. John rolls down the window wearing mirrored aviator sunglasses, looks at the kid and says, why'd you just flip us off? And the kid looks at us and says, well, I didn't flip you off. I was pointing at the sky. And this, to me, is one of the most infuriating elements of Trump mutants. You want to be fascist? You want to be racist? You want to be a know-nothingist? You want to be a conspiracy theorist? By all means, my friend, you do you. But please, please be intellectually honest about it. Please. I understand part of the gimmick of fascism is you can't be intellectually honest about it because that, that, that blows the gimmick. You know, that, that breaks kayfabe. You got you to gotta be pretending that what you're doing is reasonable and, uh, and righteous. But my God, the way these people point at the sky, it's just, it is just beyond the pale. Well, we, did, we didn't do it. Antifa did it. Come on, man. That said, I feel like um, watching that shameful, disgusting display last week it really drove home how tenuous uh, our, I mean, it's a dumb term, but our society is. All these things we take for granted, the the ability to live comfortably in a home, to have running water, to be able to walk down the street without being set upon by mutants, to uh, uh, enjoy life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. This stuff is all completely 
completely hinges upon each of our willingness to participate in this social con- uh, contract, to uphold social norms, to basically live with a certain amount of honor where our word means something, where our we, we choose to participate with one another in a socially normative way. And as soon as people decide not to do that, it crumbles pretty darn fast. And I'm not sure why anyone would want to live in such a way. But people do. And to be fair, this isn't, this isn't um, solely the domain of Trump mutants. There are people in all walks of American life, all walks of American society, who just have no shame. Have no honor. And I know shame is a controversial thing nowadays. I know many people, many people that I know at least, are very up in arms about, you know, judgment-free, no shame, this, that. And I understand, you know, you shouldn't be shamed for the way you look. You shouldn't be shamed for the the lifestyle you lead insofar as you're leading a lifestyle that doesn't inflict uh, bad things on other people. Um, In this kind of sense, yes, shame is a horrible thing. Shame is a, a debilitating thing. But when it comes to acting in such a way that is inflictive on other people, well, by God, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself if what you're doing is harming other people, is, uh, if you're taking advantage of people just because you can, if you're just acting like a monster because you can, because you've chosen you want to and you don't care about the ramifications. That is shameful. And... That's something that I, I, I feel, it's just a component that I feel needs to come back into our cultural life. Again, not, not I'm shaming you because I don't like the color of your hair. It's like, I'm shaming you because you're acting like a freaking raving lunatic or you're not providing people with uh, um, proper, here's an example. I, I heard a story the other day about a local landlord, man in his 90s that owns like, 10 or more um, rental properties. And uh, there was a fire at one of the properties he owns because he has not been providing the tenant with heat. The tenant has had to be um, heating their apartment using their stove. The tenant is an elderly woman who fears retaliation from the landlord if she complains and can't really afford to move or go anywhere else. That's shameful. That man should be ashamed of himself but that's the kind of stuff that, like, I mean, there's just nothing, if you choose to act that way, you can. And the only consequence is, is whether or not you care about how you look to the world, whether or not you care about the misery you're inflicting on other people. When people don't care, there's not much that can be done about it, really. So that's my main takeaway for now when it comes to the mutant attack, was just how starkly it made me realize everything about our society is just so tenuous, so built on people's uh, willingness or desire to get along, to ELE. And if people don't, I mean, that's, that's it. That's all she wrote. Um, I'd also just like to really quickly put out there two um, just radically contrasting images that I saw coming out of the mutant attack the mutant terrorist invasion um, that just kind of speak to uh, the worst and the best. And at the worst, you have the example, one of the gentlemen who, who perished in the attack dropped dead of a heart attack. So they say, 
Um, there, I was reading an article about it, and there were some pictures of him that I were probably from his social media or whatever in the in in the time prior to the attack, and he's standing in his living room with two long guns and like pistols in his his waist, and I think he was like he was wanting people to come to his hood, you know. So he's chomping at the bit to to kill somebody, I guess. Um, this man uh, died again, they say of a, of a heart attack during the event. Cause I guess he couldn't shoot at massive coronary failure, but, uh, that's one on one hand, just the, the person just completely disengaged with uh, civic life, social responsibility. Who's just stockpiling arms. God only knows why to kill. God only knows who, um, and then drops dead of a heart attack. And then you had images of this one, uh, Congressperson, and I can't remember the name offhand. I think he was from New Jersey. Um, in the Capitol building after midnight, picking up trash that the the mutants had left behind, <laughs> and that's kind of the, the 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 crossroads we find ourselves at. Do we want to live in a world of just selfish stockpiling and uh, paranoia, or do we want to live in a world of civic engagement and trying? to make a place where we can all live a reasonably happy life together. And I understand the senator thing was probably like a, a photo op and all that, but still, still, at least he was making that gesture. I mean, the guy, the heart attack guy with the guns was a photo op too. So on that note, um, I'm going to sign off for now. Um, I have a lot more thoughts on this, but we are, this episode is well past the point of sanity on the length so I will talk to you next week, um, God willing, if we are all still here. Until then, this has been Mr. Sensational Gino Vega with episode 27 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the Ice Robots Radio Network, signing off.